Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 126 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, just quickly, before we jump into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. Now, this is a 12-month online program where you have video training that teaches you everything you need to know about how to do your own PR. You can ask questions on the platform and you can also post your proposed pitches and media releases before sending them to journalists to get my feedback. You also get to jump on a monthly live group call where you can ask whatever questions you want about your business and you can get tailored help from me on anything to do with raising the profile of your brand. So it might be that I look at your website and give you some feedback or how to improve your LinkedIn profile and other marketing and PR topics. So if you'd like to find out more about that, just hop on over to veganbusinessmedia.com and you'll see a link there for Vegans in the Limelight. And now on to the main part of the show. In this episode, I interviewed John Oberg, a vegan social media marketing expert and influencer in Washington, D.C. John is dedicated to making the world a kinder place for animals by utilizing the power of social media. He's the former director of new media for the international animal protection organization, the Humane League, and prior to that, he served as director of communications for Vegan Outreach. In both these roles, John oversaw social media for the organizations, which led to a tenfold increase in following for both of them, as well as over one billion impressions of content posted to these pages. John recently launched his own independent project for animals through Patreon and has provided social media consulting to non-profit organizations, including Veganuary and Million Dollar Vegan. And he's now offering these services to vegan businesses and brands. In this episode, John discusses what vegan brands and businesses can do right now to organically increase followers and engagement without spending a fortune on paid ads. Why scheduling tools are important and his recommendation for which one to use. When and how often you need to post on social media. How to use hashtags the right way. How to work with influencers to ensure you get the best results for your vegan brand. Why you need to use live video and what types of content to share live versus pre-recorded. What type of content works best on your Instagram and Facebook feeds and what works best for stories on these platforms and much more. Here's the interview with John Oberg. Hello, John. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Katrina. I'm excited to be here. 
Well, I'm very excited to have you on the show. I think this is going to be a real treat for our listeners because I know you're a social media expert and it's something that uh, vegan business owners you know, always need to keep on top of. So I'm really excited as well to, to learn from you too. So let's just kick off with the first question that I ask everyone, and that's about the why. So you've got a strong background in social media marketing. You've created uh, some fantastic results for organizations like Vegan Outreach and the Humane League and others, and you're now consulting with other organizations, including vegan businesses. So tell us a bit about the why first, why you're doing what you're doing, and particularly in social media as an independent consultant. Absolutely. So social media is the way that we communicate in today's world. Uh, Well, certainly there's a number of ways that we communicate, but social media is uh, one of the uh, most prolific uh, by by a long shot. And for that reason, uh, it's important to put an emphasis on social media. And too many companies, businesses, individuals, organizations look at social media as a second-rate tier of communication, and they absolutely shouldn't. It is often the first place that people go uh, when trying to learn about your business. So uh, for that reason, uh, I decided to uh, go out on my own after leaving the Humane League about six months ago to consult with vegan businesses and organizations to get them to uh, use, utilize social media, utilize the power at their fingertips, literally at their fingertips, uh, <laughs> to get the greatest amount of good and the greatest amount of return on investment. Brilliant. I love it. I love it. And I love that there's someone from the within the community doing this because as we know, there's lots of social media marketers out there. I think it's great to have someone with such strong expertise as yours, but also gets the the issues and is passionate about them. So so look, at when we're talking about social media, and I know this is true for me as well with lots of vegan business owners, and particularly, not necessarily, but particularly, I suppose, with those that are just starting out, so they haven't got many followers. And Facebook seems to be changing its algorithm. It can be hard to you know stand above the crowd, even for established brands. So I'm just curious, what tips uh, can you offer kind of right now on how to create social media posts that will get seen and also get engagement? So if we do a little example, so if we start with a service provider, so let's start with me. So you and I do a podcast, as you know, you're on it. And so obviously I'm going to promote this episode. What tips can you provide, for example, on how best to get engagement and, and views? Yeah, there are a variety of things that you can do. And one of them is to essentially not feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. Look at what's working out there for your competitors and what isn't working for them and base a strategy kind of based off of that. You might go to a competitor's or even another podcast that's totally unrelated uh, and see what kind of content are they pushing out to their audience that seems to work and what doesn't seem to work. And when I say seems to work, I mean, is it getting good engagement? Uh, Engagement is vital. Uh, So engagement can be defined as the likes, comments, shares uh, of your posts. And so um, as you want to increase your engagement, you really have to uh, push out content out there that is actually going to succeed and give you the highest chance of uh, that content performing well. And so uh, for me, uh, with this podcast, for example, uh, I think that something would be that would be most effective would be uh, taking clips, very short clips 
from this uh, uh, from this podcast interview and uh, putting those out as video files um, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Maybe make the, making the caption just one single quote, and then uh, encouraging people to engage with that, and uh, you know, ask your audience if they agree or if they disagree or what they think. Mm, nice. I like that. It's funny. I've only just started doing that using what's called audiograms through a really little handy tool called Headliner, where you can do exactly that. You can get the little audio clips and it turns them into video. But I like that about putting the little clips out and then asking the the people what they think. So as well as saying, here's the link to the full episode, but also saying, yeah, what do you think about this? Because questions can be good to get engagement, can't they? Absolutely. And it's, of course, important for you to get full episode downloads. And so I can understand why someone in your position would want to maybe just post the link to the yeah. uh, thing. <laughs> but the thing that's going to get the most post or engagement on social media is is doing it in this way, which yeah. is why it's great to you know use tools like audiograms. Cool, cool. And I guess that's true for a product manufacturer as well. So people who are listening and they've got products, um, how, how would you recommend that they do posts? Because obviously posts that are just like, oh, here's uh, one of our cool products, buy it now. That's not necessarily going to work or it might work to a degree, but not hugely. So what about someone who's in the business of making products? What kind of posts could they make to get good engagement and views? You want, you want authenticity. So you don't want to just post, you know, if you make vegan cheese puffs you don't want to just make your social media feed an endless stream of <laughs> photos of vegan cheese puffs sitting in a bag on a table uh you would like to um look at how people who enjoy your vegan cheese puffs are posting about them so you can find this through uh location tags or through um uh hashtags through uh, tag posts, and you can find how your audience is talking about that, and then encourage more of that, and then you know work with your audience to post the things that they're posting. So, if Jimmy in New York City uh, is uh, chilling on his couch and he's like uh, holding up a bag of vegan cheese puffs, and he's got some witty caption with it, message him and say, "Hey." can we use this? Is that cool? We'll tag you. And oh, 90% nice. of the time they'll say yes. And that is super authentic. And also it adds a face to the product. And, uh, and so it gives you more variety and you're not going to be boring your audience, uh, by posting the same kind of stuff all the time. So, uh, so yeah, so that's just an example of how you can take something that might be seem simple or, some might even say boring, a bag of cheese, vegan cheese puffs, but make it something interesting and something that your audience is actually going to engage with. Good. So you should always ask permission when people do that first. You wouldn't just automatically share the post. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would be the best, uh, the best case uh, for, for social media etiquette, for sure. Got it. Got it. I actually had some fabulous vegan cheese puffs when I was in New York and I brought them home and ate them on the airplane. So <laughs> <laughs> Just reminded me of those. They were amazing. Um, great. Now, that's, that's really good advice. Thank you. So what kinds of, you know, like sometimes on social media, there's sort of trends with like types of um, posts that are popular. So, you know, memes, you know, have been popular for a while. I don't know if they're maybe not quite as popular. But what are some of the, um, the content, uh, the types of content at the moment which tend to be most popular on social media right now? 
Videos are certainly uh, the most popular and are always going to be the most popular. Um, well, are going to be for a very long time. Um, over the last, so I've been doing social media professionally for the last uh, six or seven years. And over this time, I have seen more video play a more and more significant role every year. And uh, you know, I remember just a few years ago, I, I thought about this and I was like, ah, maybe one out of three posts I see in my newsfeed are videos. And now I would say the majority of the content I see uh, on my newsfeed are videos. And so uh, brands and organizations and individuals who are not taking advantage of video content are really selling themselves short. They're really missing a big opportunity. And we are actually kind of lucky uh, in the field that we're in. Um, I'm assuming most of your audience is uh, are, are members of the vegan business community or at least yeah. uh, vegans. And so veganism is a hot topic. Animals are an issue that their animals are something that people care about deeply. And so we have this great opportunity at our hands to reach people with topics that they're already interested in or have opted into um, learning more about. You know, if we were in the soft drink industry, we would be screwed because people don't feel very passionately <laughs> yeah. about soft drinks. But people feel passionately about veganism. They feel passionately about animals. And so we should use that to our advantage. And by utilizing video, it is the one of the best ways to get people to engage with your content. Got it. Got it. So on the topic of video, what about live? Uh, how important is going live versus, say, uploading pre-recorded video to Facebook? And now LinkedIn actually has got, um, I think they've just introduced live. So how important is live versus pre-recorded? Correct. Well, I love I do love live, but live really is uh, significantly more limited in terms of when you can um, go live, when you can um, do it. You know, if you're a motivational speaker and your whole social media feed is just you talking to the camera, then yes, go live all the time. But if you are somebody who's posting, um, you know, photos or videos from like, you know, very, you know, very different things or uh, about things that have happened in the past. Uh, or things that are happening in the future, like you don't have quite as much freedom to uh, to live stream. But when the opportunity arises, live streaming is great. Uh, you are going to get uh, more engagement on your live streams than you are standard video. Oh, so really? yeah. it's certainly worth doing. And the nice thing is, even if your audience doesn't tune in when it's live, they can still see it later. And the uh, and so it still lives uh, permanently on your page, and so that's pretty nice. Mm, got it. Got it. I actually, and on this topic, <laughs> Katrina, uh, I have been writing a series for Plant Based News, a uh, a seventeen part series on effectively using social media ah. to your advantage for animals, and uh, I'm fifteen parts deep. I got two pieces left, so it should be done within the month, but part 13 or 14 was actually specifically on live streaming for the animals. Uh, and so if anybody's interested in reading more about it, you can go to plantbasednews.org, go to the learn section, vegan advocacy, and you'll see it there. 
Wonderful. That's great. And so in terms of, and that's good to know about love, because I must admit, I'm not a fan of doing live, I guess, because, you know, same as being a writer, it's like I would never put a first draft of something <laughs> I've written out. I like to tinker with it and edit it and sleep on it overnight and then look at it with fresh eyes and kind of things. So the idea of going live, I'm kind of, and the same with video, I like to kind of tweak it a little bit. But look, I take your point. I think I'm probably going to have to dive in. Um, some well, that's, a nice, that's the nice part about this, Katrina, is that Social media absolutely needs you to be authentic if you mm. want your posts to be successful. And so people would much rather have you stumble on your words, maybe forget what you're talking about for a second, you know, say something <laughs> stupid. Well, drop, the much camera. Yes. <laughs> drop the phone. <laughs> yes, yeah, any of those things. Those would be much more um, successful than uh, you know, a very well polished, overly produced video. So, uh, okay. uh, and on that, and on that note, Katrina, I've got to say that I have really found one consistent, uh, thing, uh, to be successful on social media over the years. And that is authenticity or even simplicity over production. Right. Uh, right. the most overly produced, really nice quality videos or even graphics uh, often get significantly less engagement than a video that somebody recorded on their cell phone, uh, you know, uh, on, on their, uh, you know, on their iPhone three, eight years ago uh, <laughs> for like seven seconds at an animal sanctuary or something. Right. Uh, and so really <laughs> uh, authenticity is what is going to breed success on social. Okay. Now, if you're going to go live uh, and you're going to share video, like I'm, I wonder what your thoughts are on doing it from your page, your professional page. And obviously for some brands that obviously they're going to do it from their brand page, but I'm curious about whether you think business owners should also have a, a personal Facebook profile. Like, cause I've got a vegan business media page. I've also got a Katrina Fox vegan journalist page. And then I've got my personal profile and I often find I'm getting more engagement with my personal profile. So what are your thoughts on, on that, whether one should have a, uh, a personal profile as well. And if you're going to go live and use video, is it better to directly upload it from your page and then share that on your personal profile? It's a good question. And it's something that I kind of thought about for a long time. I thought, you know, should I, should I create a public page for myself? For a long time, I've only had a personal page. I created my Facebook back in I think 2006 or 2007, and that's uh, I only had a personal page forever. And now, uh, about four months ago, I launched a public Facebook page. And for me, I kind of went back and forth. I was like, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, what should I do? What should I do? And ultimately, I thought now that I'm you know building my own brand, I thought that uh, for people who don't know me personally but want to stay connected, like the work I do, uh, want to support animals, um, they can connect with me on my public page. And then my personal page can be maintained for, uh, you know, friends in real life. And, you know, one of the reasons for this is that your Facebook friend, friend limit is at 5,000. Mm. And so uh, you can't go on endlessly connecting with people on Facebook uh, until the end of time. Uh, it's been a limit of 5,000 for probably 10 years now, uh, at least. And so I don't see that changing anytime soon. So uh, I think it, if you are somebody who uh, has somewhat of a public persona, uh, at least is you know getting pieces out there in the media here and there, um, or really wants to uh, 
um, take their uh, take their brand game to the next level, I do recommend starting a public page. And uh, it can be more time consuming. And I, I really only recommend doing it if you have the resources to invest in it. Um, you know, I wouldn't recommend starting a public page and then posting to it twice a month. Uh, you should definitely, you know, feed the beast. And as for what you had asked about live video, um, you, the reason you're probably finding more uh, engagement on your personal page is because you are slightly favored in algorithm over public pages. Okay, um, right. Personal page because Facebook wants to prioritize friends and family over uh, brands. And so we kind of have that working against us, focusing on brands. Uh, but so, so that's probably why you're doing that. Um, so I think that if you're really concerned about ma absolutely maximizing your uh, views and engagement of your video, I think going live on your personal page and then also sharing that live feed from your public page is the best case scenario. Oh, okay. But, so you can do it that way around as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But with the, with the caveat that you have to keep in mind that, you know, a good number of your Facebook friends are probably not necessarily interested in whatever you're promoting via your public page. So you kind of have to accept that, uh, you know, yeah. a number of your um, friends and family uh, will also see it and they mm -hmm. may or may not be interested. And there's only so many times you can do that before they hide you or uh, unfriend you um, or just True. get annoyed. So yeah. you want to pick and choose carefully. Got it. Wonderful. Excellent advice. What do you reckon then? Is it worth, say you've also got a YouTube channel, so you upload your video to YouTube and then you upload directly to Facebook. Should you also bother, is it like, is it worth like also putting a YouTube link on Facebook as well or not really? So the best strategy is always to upload video natively to every platform. You right. never want to post a YouTube link as just a link to Facebook, for example. But uh, if something that's very important to you is growing your YouTube page um, or getting views on that specific video, then what I would recommend doing is uploading the video or a clip from the video to Facebook and then at the end of your caption saying, watch the full video here and then providing a link to the YouTube, uh, to the YouTube page. Oh, okay, that's a good idea. And Facebook won't penalize you by seeing the word YouTube in your caption. <laughs> I have not found that to be the case. Okay, cool. All right, great. Now, this is great. This is really, really helpful. Um, so, yeah, with a lot of um, social media platforms that are available, it can be quite hard to keep up with all of them. So uh, I'm curious, how, what's your advice on how a vegan brand can decide which ones to focus on? Because we've talked about, you know, YouTube already, Facebook, LinkedIn, there's Instagram, uh, there's Pinterest, there's Snapchat for others. How, how should you decide which ones to focus, focus on initially um, and then maybe ones to add later on? Well, it really comes down to two things. One, which platforms fit well with your brand? And then number two, what are the resources you have at hand? If you are single-handedly running a business and you are in charge of absolutely everything, including the social media, you probably have very limited resources at your disposal. And so for that reason, 
you wouldn't want to launch, you know, eight different social media accounts because there's no way you're going to be able to keep up with that uh, to, to operate these well. But if you have more resources, like maybe you have, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours a week and you're, you can pay someone to focus just on social media, then yes, you want to maximize uh, your odds of you know, getting good engagement across all platforms. And so then you'd be much more open to uh, hitting all the different pages. Um, I think that something to keep in mind is that Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are certainly the most, uh, most important. Um, and then also YouTube is, does play a role if that fits well with your brand. Um, again, if you are a soft drink company, you know, I don't think your YouTube presence is as important <laughs> because when's the last time you watched, you know, watched a, uh, a TV show or a, a long video on YouTube about soft drinks. But if you have, you know, uh, if you're talking about, uh, you know, vegan activism and, you know, uh, you're documenting, documenting your journey, uh, you know, at plant-based world expos, for example, where you and I, we're both last at in New York City, uh, then yes, it'd be very relevant. Um, and then we can't forget about LinkedIn, mm. where it's absolutely optimal for for businesses. So if you're a business if you're a business page, you certainly want to be active on LinkedIn. Yeah. And then last one last shout out I want to say because this is just something that often people don't think about is Reddit. Reddit is not a traditional social media platform, but it is a uh, as they say, the front page of the internet. And it is a way to get uh, your content, specifically blog posts, um, news articles, um, and other kinds of media into uh, the, or in front of the eyes of many Reddit use, users. And there are lots and lots of Reddit yeah. users with very, very niche communities where you could find um, yourself being able to, you know, maybe do a little bit of self-promotion, but doing so in a uh, not so obvious way as to come off as self-promoting. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought about Reddit, about w w how often you, you're allowed to kind of share your own stuff. Like, I suppose you have to sort of mix it up a bit so you're not just show it, uh, not just sharing your own stuff, but mixing it up with other people's um, content as well. Would that be right? Right. You definitely want to read up on Reddit etiquette before you start promoting anything. In fact, I would say you probably never want to come off as promoting your own thing. Um, so, you know, one of the nice things about Reddit is that you can, um, you know, engage uh, pretty anonymously. Many of the people are, are anonymous and aren't connected to, you know, they don't have their real names on there. And so, you know, you could promote your uh, business via that means um, as long as it's, you know, done so in a way that isn't you know really breaking too many rules of, of yeah. reddit etiquette got it there's actually a good blog post on vegan business media website which is a guest post that somebody did and they actually had a little case study of how it worked so I'll, I'll probably put a link to that actually on the show notes page now you touched on vegan business owners being busy and they may not be able to do their own social media so how important is it for brands to create their own content and kind of you know, do the social media themselves versus hiring someone to do it can you talk a little bit about the pros and the cons of, of the latter yeah well the best person to do the social media is you so if you're listening to this and you know it's your business, uh, obviously the best person to do it is you. Unfortunately, you probably have a lot of other work to do, and so somebody else has got to do it. And so for that reason, if you have the ability to hire someone who is very familiar with the brand, 
um, and who is familiar with you and somebody you feel very comfortable with, um, you know, talking to on a regular basis about this, um, that would be ideal. I'd say the worst case scenario is hiring some outside consult, uh, some outside agency uh, who is, you know, not even in the vegan realm um, because they are going to probably do the bare minimum and not have a true sense of the ethics and, and reasoning behind the existence of your business. Yeah. And so whenever possible, keeping it as close to home, that would be ideal. Sounds good. Yeah, it's interesting. On one of the panels at Plant Based World Conference and Expo that you mentioned, um, one of the uh, entrepreneurs said that they they'd hired someone to work with them, but she has to check kind of regularly what they're doing, or she, they they run the content pastor because there was one word, I think it was boo, like my boo that they use, and she said I would never say that, <laughs> and um, <laughs> so it was like little things like that where yeah, it's kind of trying to find that balance between the authenticity and the the voice, um, and right. yeah, okay that's. Oh, that's great. Um, so now what about scheduling tools? So things like Hootsuite and Buffer where you can, you know, schedule a whole you know, bunch of social media posts on, on all different platforms. Now, I've heard various things that some social media platforms don't show posts um, as much if they're shared by those tools. You kind of get penalized if you're using those tools as opposed to sharing directly to the platforms themselves. What are your thoughts on that? I have never experienced that. Um, I've experienced very high rates of engagement uh, with posts that have been um, uh, scheduled through these through these platforms, specifically Buffer. Oh, cool. And uh, and I pay pretty close attention to the engagement on my posts, and I have not at all seen a dip um, by using these tools. And even if there was a very very slight penalty, I could see the case still being worth it because. They are such a game changer in terms of freeing up your time. Yeah. Uh, when I first started running social media for Vegan Outreach back in 2013, I remember uh, waking up every day and thinking, what am I going to post on social media? <laughs> and I would, I would think about it and be like, okay, this will go well on Facebook. And then I'd be like, all right, what am I going to do for Instagram? Think about it for a while. And go, okay, let's do this for Instagram. Think about it for a while for Twitter. All right, let's do it there. And then a few hours later, be like, okay, I think it's time for <laughs> That is not the right way to operate in 2019. <laughs> um, we have these great tools. Uh, Buffer is awesome. Uh, I think it's really worth the investment. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, the fact that Instagram now allows companies to, uh, and businesses specifically, to schedule posts. That is awesome. Um, yeah. Definitely a changer. Um, you can't do carousel posts, but you can do photos and videos, um, which is going to be the majority of your posts anyway. Um, and so I really recommend doing this because uh, the nice thing about it is that it's more efficient for one. And also you can use all your creativity at once. Um, and it's funny that we talk about this because just yesterday and today were kind of my scheduling days. And so yesterday and today, um, I've been creating a lot of content and scheduling a lot of content for the next couple of weeks. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that really eases my life in the coming weeks to focus more on the other aspects of social media outside of posting, such as, you know, monitoring direct messages, engaging with people in the comment section, engaging with other profiles, that sort of thing. 
Mm, got it. Really good and be helpful. Yeah. And I, I use Buffer as well. Um, and I found it useful now that they allow you to do the at thing with Facebook pages, which they didn't for a long time. And then they finally um, got it together. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of that as well. So, um, so in terms of paid reach, um, especially on Facebook, which we mentioned again, seems to change its algorithms left, right and center. And I've heard all sorts of stories from vegan brands where, you know, they're finding it quite difficult to sort of master Facebook advertising and, and even now of course we've got Instagram advertising and other social media platforms where you can pay so how important is paid reach in getting your content seen and shared and what tips can you offer if any along those lines so um, my recommendations for paid reach is to try to avoid it whenever possible uh, you by utilizing social media uh, and like utilizing uh, the best ways to have organic reach you can have really significant engagement and reach without having to pay um i i basically never pay for posts and uh in 2019 i've had 100 million impressions of my content on uh on my twitter instagram and facebook page 100 so, million wow in 2019 in 2019 yeah wow and, that's amazing you know, this wasn't me paying Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. It was me looking at how these pages operate, how, uh, you know, what kinds of posts tend to perform well, you know, how captions are written, all of that sort of thing. And really trying to do the optimize and utilize and be the best I possibly can be. And so whenever possible, don't pay. But there are a couple times when I think paying is acceptable. And one is if your if your uh, brand or uh, company is something that people don't really care that much about, don't feel passionately about it. Again, we go back to the soft drink example. Uh, you know, most people, uh, you know, Coke probably has to pay for lots of ads because nobody's sharing Coke posts. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, luckily in this vegan business area, we have a little bit more on our side because we have people who are passionate about our products. Um, but then secondly, if there is something that is particularly very important that you need your audience to see, then I would recommend doing it. For example, if you are a local business and you have a grand opening and you need people in the mm. community to come to it, that could be a time when it's worth investing in ads. Got it. No, that makes very good sense. Or if you've got a book launch, perhaps, or something, or you're launching a, a new a, a new product or something, would that be a good idea potentially as well to kind of drum up a bit of extra buzz? Yes, especially when it's something that you don't feel like your audience is going to necessarily engage with organically. Got it. And you know, if you're running on social media, you're going to know ahead of time whether or not you think whether or not people are really going to engage with particular posts. Got it. Got it. Let's talk a little bit about Instagram. This is uh, brilliant. Hashtags. So I've got quite a few questions around hashtags. You can maybe answer them in one batch, but just how important and useful are they um, now? How many should we use? Um, what type should you use? Whether really popular ones or, or not so popular? Where should you put them? You know, at the bottom of your caption or in the comment? Um, and what about using them on other platforms? So let's start with Instagram. So there was a few questions there. I'll go through them again one by one, but just talk us a little bit about hashtags and their importance and how we should use them. 
Absolutely. So hashtags are like the Google of social media. It is a <laughs> really significant uh, part of finding content. And uh, so I definitely recommend using them, but I don't recommend using them blindly. Uh, they should be used in specific ways. So on Instagram, you want to use them uh, as a first comment. So you write them in the first comment, and that way you can keep your caption looking nice and clean, and it still accomplishes the same goal. So uh -huh. if somebody is searching hashtag vegan business, they and you have uh, hashtag vegan business in the first comment below your post, people will still find that post. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yes. And and speaking of buffer, buffer now allows you to actually make uh, add a first comment to posts, which is pretty awesome. Oh, really? Um, mm. Yes. Okay. And and to go a little deeper about this, um, with Instagram, you can do it for thirty hashtags in a post, and so uh, you want to hit between twenty five and thirty because it's going to maximize your odds of people finding you. And if you want to get specific and specific about what kind of hashtags you should, be, you should be using, you want to use a blend of very general, widely used hashtags, more moderately used hashtags, and then very niche hashtags. Uh -huh. So, for example, this podcast, uh, I would recommend, or you know, uh, an example of a very general hashtag, I would say hashtag vegan or hashtag podcast. A more moderately used one, maybe in the middle, is like hashtag vegan podcast, hashtag vegan radio, hashtag vegan show. And then very specific would be like hashtag vegan business media, hashtag Katrina Fox. And so uh, by creating this, um, by having a variety of different hashtags, you are actually um, having, you know, maximizing your reach while also making people making it easy for people to actually find your content who are trying to find your specific content mm, nice i like that. i was just making a couple of notes there i like the one about vegan podcast and vegan radio and vegan show those are ones i haven't used so i shall make sure i use them for this episode and beyond <laughs> what about cool. on uh, no that's great what about on oh and i was going to ask you on instagram actually when like what kinds of content should you post as a post on your feed versus an Instagram story? So again, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You should look at what's been working in the past, do more of that, see what doesn't work and do less of that. And also don't be afraid to experiment. And so um, it depends on what your audience is engaging with. Um, what your you know you your you know I, I would guess that your audience you know if you posted like a you know uh, a funny meme but it's popular with like you know thirteen year olds it might not be something that your audience engages with but there might be a meme out a meme account out there who would post that and their audience would eat it up so you have to really understand like what your audience wants and post that. Um, as regular new, uh, wall feed posts. But as for stories, uh, you definitely want to incorporate stories into something you post because uh, Instagram is becoming more and more 
story heavy. And so people, since, since they were introduced about three years ago, people have moved, shifted more and more towards using Instagram stories. And so uh, that unfortunately means that uh, people are focusing less and less on newsfeed posts. So engagement is actually down across the board on regular Instagram yeah, wall. I, I found that and I wasn't sure if it was because I'd switched to a business account as well. Right. Yeah. I've definitely found uh, there'd be a correlation with, uh, with just the increase in, in stories. Right. And so okay. uh, I do recommend using stories. Um, and, and to, to give another uh, shout out here to my series of plant-based news, um, I have written a whole piece on hashtags and I've written a whole piece on stories. So um, much of the things that we're talking about here, people can read about more in depthly. Uh, and, Fantastic. Uh, we'll put a link. We'll put a link to that on the show notes page for sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. cool. So, would you, for example, like with be I've I've only just started using Instagram Stories, but I've I've read that that some people it can be quite good for showing little clips of behind the scenes at your business. So your wall is more kind of you know really nice photos or maybe a, a more of a nice polished video, um, whereas the stories can be used um, a bit more to sort of do a quick oh here we are behind the scenes making our product or whatever. Would, would that be right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't want to say that behind the scenes aren't good for wall photos too. So I think that they are, but I think that, uh, this kind of balance is, is perfect. So having, um, people see, uh, behind the scenes whenever possible, that is great. Cause that's the kind of stuff that people really want to see. It's authentic. You know, I don't care how small or how, how large your brand is. People don't want to be shown some shiny overly produced product as much as they want to see just a normal person holding up their phone and showing you behind the scenes got it love it love it um we talked briefly about hashtags on instagram um how useful are they on other platforms i mean i know they are on twitter but what about facebook and linkedin because they were kind of late to the party in terms of use of hashtags should we use them on facebook and linkedin and how how many because i'm assuming we wouldn't use 20 or 30 hashtags on facebook and linkedin whereas we might on instagram or is that correct yeah correct so so facebook and uh, so Facebook, I would say, is the least important for hashtags. There aren't a lot of people searching hashtags on Facebook. Uh, it is not uh, the most important place to use hashtags. If you can use any, use like one or two, um, maybe fairly broad ones. So, so like hashtag vegan, for example, or even hashtag vegan business. Um, but there aren't that many people using hashtags on Facebook, so it's not necessarily worth it. I like to use hashtags on uh, Facebook and Twitter as um, like like ending points to a caption to kind of make a point about something. Oh, uh, yes. So, so, for example, you know, if I'm talking about how dairy cows are treated, I might say, you know, dairy, crow- dairy cows are abused. I might do a heartbreak emoji and then hashtag ditch dairy. Nice. Uh, yeah. That's that's using it to make a point, not necessarily using it in a way that like that using it in like a search engine type way, mm-hmm. and so um, uh, use them on LinkedIn and Facebook uh, sparingly, and then on Twitter, I actually do recommend not overusing hashtags because uh, people 
um, aren't searching them nearly as much as they are on Instagram. Instagram is by far where people are like going to search hashtags. Um, if Twitter, if you do want to use them on Twitter, if you can try and incorporate them into sentences within the captions, yes. that's ideal versus just adding them randomly at the end, which I see a lot of people do. Got it. Uh, so if you were to say like, you know, the time to go vegan is now, if that's your post, I would much rather see you hashtag the word vegan within the sentence yeah. rather than add hashtag vegan at the end. Perfect. Now that makes really good sense. That's fantastic. What about links in posts? Because I've seen, again, uh, so I've seen, I think they're quite cool. Millenn- obviously, they're millennials doing these. They're quite cool looking social media posts and they've got a heap of emojis and icons and then they've got links in the caption text, both on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. I've seen them all across. So how useful is that and how many links is too many or is it better to paste those links in the comments of a post instead of the caption? Because I read as well, that you could be penalized, say, for putting an external link on LinkedIn. Um, and so it's better to put it in the first comment. So what are your thoughts on links in posts? Are you talking about... Like, um, an, like an external link. So, you know, like I talk about watch the full episode of the podcast here or yeah. read the blog post here, and then you put either a bit.ly link or the full link to, say, your, your, a blog post, for example. Or it could be an external link to buy a product um, as oh, well. Right. Yeah, so I would limit how many links you're putting on there. Generally, in captions, you want to follow the rule that you want to say as much as possible in as few words as humanly possible. And so you don't want to just throw out a bunch of links. The more links you put there, the less people are going to click on them. Right. And it's kind of like in life when we have the more options we have, uh, Hmm. really the less options we have, uh, the more more likely we are to just choose whatever we otherwise would have gone with. So I really recommend um, not doing an overabundance of links. Sometimes it's important um, for various reasons. So for example, maybe within a post of yours on your podcast and your Facebook, it would be important to link to a YouTube video that is heavily referenced within the clip that you're posting, but then also um, posting a link to the uh, podcast episode. So uh, the case can definitely be made to post more than one link, but in general, whenever possible, limit how many times you're doing that. And last thing I want to mention about links is that I recommend not using bit.ly or shorten links. Um. And the reason being is that people will look at that and not have any clue where it's going and they don't really trust it. But if they can see, uh, you know, veganbusinessmedia.com, um, or plantbasednews.org, and then you know a bunch of uh, whatever comes after that. Then they know it's trustworthy, and they know what they're going to be getting themselves into by clicking on it. Oh, that's a fair point, actually. Yeah, it could be a bit tricky on Instagram if you've got really long URLs for a blog post. But uh, yeah, I see what you mean about that for um, yeah for for the others. Well, no, that's... well, you wouldn't want to post links or URLs in your Instagram posts. Um, I can guarantee basically nobody is uh, looking at Instagram and saying, okay, this episode sounds interesting or this thing sounds interesting. Let me remember the, you know, bit.ly slash capital L one, three E four, you know, like people aren't really doing that. And so for links on Instagram, you want to obviously have the swipe up feature 
if you're doing stories, if you have a, a 10K followers. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, uh, but everybody has access to the single link in your URL. So I recommend use, using that and just saying link in bio. In bio, having, yeah. Okay. Yeah, having people go there directly. Okay, fair enough. No, good, good point. So I know we're, we're getting on to time. There's just a couple more questions I'd love to ask you. Influence, because influencer marketing, there's a lot of information out there on the pros and cons of using influencers to gain traction for your brand. And I think I read recently, I think I was listening to a podcast actually, and there was a famous story of this woman who had like, I think she had a couple of million followers and she partnered with a t-shirt brand. And then when she basically tried to sell the t-shirts like to her followers, she couldn't even make five sales and they, the brand like they had, you know, came to an end, the partnership came to an end. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, so what can you tell us about, um, or your tips on influencer marketing? How helpful and useful is it? And how can vegan brands uh, get it right? Absolutely. So you want to do your research. Uh, you don't want to, or so for one, of course, you have to find somebody who fits with uh, your brand. So there might be a, uh, uh, a random brand out there with 100K followers on Instagram. Then there might be a, ve- a vegan out there with 10K Instagram followers. And the person with 100K followers, you'd think, okay, they're worth 10 times what the Instagram vegan person is. But if you're promoting a vegan product, I would say the person with 10,000 Instagram followers is more important than the person with 100,000 just general Instagram followers um, because it's people who are interested in your niche. And so you really want to do your research and, and be specific about uh, the, or, or be, you know, be particular about who you want to partner with. So also I would not just look at follower count. I would look at engagement. So I'd see how people are actually engaging, whether they're commenting, uh, uh, or getting a lot of comments, if they're getting a lot of likes. Um, there are a lot of people out there who have purchased followers too. Um, and so if you go to somebody's page and they have 10,000 followers, but they're getting 15, 20 likes on their posts, those followers are fake. Um, and so uh, you definitely want to um, be mindful of that. And then lastly, I really recommend being specific with what you want from a uh, a influencer. Um, a lot of times they might try and just, just do a story instead of a wall post, but stories are, will often not get you sales. Um, wall posts can often be more successful with that. So if you come to an agreement with an influencer, you might, might want to say, okay, I need you to do three stories and one wall, you know, three stories and one wall post. Right. Um, just be specific about that. And maybe even ask them to run their caption by you first because uh, you obviously want them to speak in the way that they would normally speak. Um, that's the only way it's going to work. If it comes off like an advertisement, it's not going to work. And then it's going to fail both of you. Yeah. Um, yes, the influencers got your money in their pocket, but they still like, you know, come off as fake to their followers. And then you're, nobody's going to buy your things. So it's really mutually uh, – beneficial for your the influencer to speak in the language that they normally speak in but on this note uh there might be something that you really want them to include that they might not include on their own 
And so ask them to run the caption or run the story by you first. And then, and that could be part of the agreement. And I think that's the best way to approach influencer marketing. Oh, that's great. Any ideas, any tips on, but like, I know they're kind of ballpark figures, but how to, figures, how to budget for those? Like, are there any kind of standard rates for say, uh, you know, a post or a story? Um, just to give people a kind of rough idea of what they might be looking to spend. And I know it's going to vary yeah. on how, how big the following is and, and what have you, but are there any kind of ballpark figures you can give us to, to give businesses an idea about what they might need to spend or at least a minimum of what they might need to spend? Yeah. So for Instagram, for example, uh, you for every 10,000 followers, that's 100 bucks for a post. Right. Uh, okay. So if somebody has 20,000 followers, you probably want to offer them $200. Um, but you, you know, again, don't just look at, do this blindly and say, okay, they have 30 K followers. Sounds good. Let me DM them. Look at the engagement, look at the kinds of posts that they're doing. If it's something, something that fits with their brand. Um, you know, uh, if somebody, you know, uh, posts nothing but activism photos, them at protests and, uh, you know, them maybe doing undercover investigations, you know, they might not be the best, you know, uh, if you have some like vegan, uh, vegan luxury uh, clothing company, they might not be the best person to reach out to, even if they have the right number of followers and mm. the right audience, because, you know, that is not something that, that blends well with uh, the kind of content that they're pushing out there. So you want to obviously choose influencers who are um, perfect for you and that might even make may you have to pay a little bit more if you want to find just the right person but the, that could be money well worth spending got it got it we touched on followers and you mentioned buying a followers and i think there was a report that said at least or most of the celebrities like with their millions of followers on social media accounts at least half of them are off of bought followers or bots or, or fake followers what are your and the, one argument is particularly if you're starting out buy a bunch of followers so that you look popular and that will help you to get real followers but obviously there's been a clamp down on this and you know it, it's a not i don't know what, what are your thoughts on that and how vegan brands particularly those who are starting out but also established brands how can they increase their rate of followers and obviously they want relevant followers rather than a bunch of you know people or bots that are not that helpful what are your thoughts on on ethical following strategy uh, yeah ethical follower strategies well for for one from what i understand i it is impossible now to buy followers um or like practically impossible um and if you do it i think it comes with a lot of risk so i would really recommend against doing this at, at all costs um, so I definitely recommend not purchasing followers. Um, and the nice thing is though, again, this community who's listening to this podcast, you have a product or you're in a business with people who care about this. People care about veganism. They care about vegan products. Uh, they care about animals. And so we have the ability to grow our pages organically by focusing on um, uh, or by strategizing and focusing on pushing out content that is going to get a lot of engagement and reach, which is then in turn going to build the brand. So really focus on building organically. And that is mostly done through on Twitter and Facebook, especially through shares. And so you want to be pushing content that is going to get shared. Make 
your content as shareable as possible. When you're typing up the caption for a post, ask yourself, if I was the audience and I saw this in my newsfeed, what, how could it be written in a way, this, how could this caption be written in a way that is going to increase the odds of me sharing this? And, and so you always want to make your content as shareable as possible. And then, of course, just pushing out good, good relevant content. If the content you're pushing out is, um, you know, weird, out of touch, uninteresting, boring, uh, the same stuff all the time, um, or radically in, inconsistent, uh, erratic, uh, you know, there's a good chance people aren't going to be engaging with your page on a regular basis. So you really want to enter this, enter into this with a strategy in mind. Got it. Got it. What about those things with automate? Like there's automated things like like bots that seem to put random comments on posts and things, or they'll follow you. And then if you don't follow back after a little while, they unfollow, but it's all automated. Do you recommend those or stay away from them? Stay away from them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> people, people can smell a bot from a mile away. Yeah, I know um, I can when someone posts on my Instagram, awesome feed, keep it up. And I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. yeah, it's like, you know, no human in their right mind would even write that. It's always written in weird ways too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Or there's like three random emojis together. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Brilliant. I've seen some really inappropriate ones to like, uh, you know, people posting about like, you know, a funeral they just went to and then like somebody's like, yeah, great work or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my so God. That's a really awful one, isn't it? Definitely avoid that. Oh, that's great. First, very quickly before we wrap up then. So times to post on social media. I know there's lots of views on this. Are there any kind of right times of day to post on social media? And also how often should we be posting? Should we be posting daily, twice daily, once a week? So you want to look at your, the insights for the platform that you're interested in. So Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook all offer uh, the details as for when your audience is most active. And for me, it seems to be pretty consistent um, with a little bit of change here and there. Uh, but it seems to be pretty consistent that between 12 and 3 is when, uh, and 12 and 3 in my, in my current time zone. Uh, which is the east coast of the U.S., uh, that is when they tend to be most active. And for that reason, I want to get my posts out right before the peak and uh, or right before it starts, starts peaking. And that way, uh, because the lifespan of posts is very short. So, uh, you know, generally only a few hours, your posts are really going to be showing up in news feeds before it starts showing up in far fewer news feeds. And so, uh, you want to post at the most optimal time, which is right before this peak. Um, so if you know, my audience is most active between 12 and three, I'll probably throw my post up there at about 1145 or noon. And this will change depending on your, you know, your audience and, and where you are in the world. I know that in Australia, it gets kind of confusing because you know, <laughs> uh, Australia is a small country in terms of population and, you know, the vegan community and stuff is like far, uh, you know, mostly in, in Europe and in North America. So uh, I can see how that might mix things up a little bit. So you might be scheduling posts to go up at two in the morning 
but just pay attention to when your audience is active yeah. and do accordingly. And again, that's why, you know, using tools like Buffer where you can schedule posts make your life a lot easier. Yeah. What do you think about resharing a post? So once you've sent it out, because I've seen people do, I've seen like vegan nonprofit organizations do this, um, say on Twitter, for example, where you'll see a post and then maybe a few hours later you see it again and then maybe the following day or a couple of days later it's the same post again. So what are your thoughts on resharing the same post? Yeah, so on Twitter there is this pretty cool hack, I like to call it, a Twitter hack where you can retweet your own tweet. And every time you do that, it shows up, it shows back up in the news feeds, top of the news feeds of your followers. Right. And so if you do this three times over the course of your day, your post is going to get four times as much engagement as it otherwise would if you just posted it once. Uh-huh. Um, because every time you do it, it's like a fresh new post. So I actually do think it's a pretty good, stand, uh, good tool to use on Twitter, retweeting, and then you know, a few hours later, undoing that retweet and then retweeting it again, and then just continuing this process for a few hours or a few times over the course of the day, you're going to get more engagement on it. Uh, you know, Instagram doesn't offer this kind of flexibility or uh, ability, uh, but Twitter or I'm sorry, face, um, Facebook. Uh, also, you really can't do that same sort of like retweet type thing. You can share it as a you know, reshare your old post as a post. Um, but it's not really going to add to the engagement of the original post. And so for that reason, I would rather just, you know, a few days or a week or two later, maybe just do a whole brand new post with that same content. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense. Um, just before we talk about your services and what you offer, the final kind of general social media question. Um, we've talked about buffer. Um, what are your top maybe two, three or whatever recommendations for must have tools or apps for social media marketing? Cause I know there's heaps out there. There's Canva, there's Lumen five, you know, and a whole bunch in between. And I know personally as well, it can be easy to get carried away with, you know, the shiny object syndrome, like, Oh, I must have that. But which ones would you say are really helpful? Um, perhaps, you know, kind of essential ones. Yeah. Well, I would definitely say that, uh, buffer, is the number one best tool you want to have so you can schedule posts on facebook instagram and twitter um so i think that that is really great um the google suite might sound super simple but like having access to uh spreadsheets and documents and like this will definitely pay uh play a role in the social media too um when it comes to like engage you know working with other companies and brands and individuals um, using um, other tools um, graphic design uh, I think canva is great uh, you go to photo p so p h o t o p e a dot com it's like online photoshop so it's free mm-hmm. uh, that's pretty great um, yeah I would say that those are uh, pretty good tools and then there's some tools that I use for videos on social. Uh, I use one called uh, an app called meta meme. So that's basically making meme videos. So videos like the bars and the top and the bottom. Um, I really like that one. Um, video crop. So, uh, with video crop, you basically just crop out, uh, bits of the video so that, uh, 
it it looks yeah it looks more relevant and whatever you want um yeah those are some of my, my favorites also insta size uh insta size will um reformat the, the dimensions of your photo and so uh like for example if you're trying to upload a pretty tall photo to instagram but it's outside the dimensions uh that you want you could use an app like insta size which will add you know solid bars to the sides of the photo which would then make it um be you actually put the whole you know get all that same content that you wanted but with the bars on the side Got it. Oh my goodness. Now I'm getting my shiny object syndrome again. I'm thinking, oh, I must get that one. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. That's been so, so helpful, John. You're obviously an absolute expert in your field. So you've consulted, as we mentioned, with some nonprofits, with Million Dollar Vegan Campaign, which I was part of as the Australia campaign manager for the first campaign, Plant Based News, Veganuary, um, and others. So tell us a bit about what kind of help you offer um, business owners. So do you consult and do strategy? Do you offer a done for you service tell us a bit about um if people want to connect with you and to hire you what, what do you offer absolutely so if people so i do offer a variety of services within my patreon so if you were to go to patreon.com slash john oberg uh you could uh find a variety of social media resources within the patreon and so i'm always looking to get new patrons um to to become part of my community that is making, you know, working to make a uh, big difference for animals. But as for paid client services, uh, through my LLC, uh, I offer social media consulting. Um, and it could be anywhere from one hour a month to, you know, five hours a week, whatever works with you and your brand. Um, I'm open to exploring with you. And uh, we can talk about uh, all different areas of social media working on strategy together, working on best practices, the do's and don'ts. I can do, I can conduct reviews of your social media pages, provide recommendations. Um, I can even potentially uh, find staff for you if that's somebody you're looking for, especially if you want to find people within the vegan community. I am certainly open to um, helping out in that realm as well. Nice. I love it. Now, John, you've been so generous with your time and your expertise. I know this episode is a little longer than usual, but we, we managed to unpack a lot of really useful information. I think people are going to get such good value from this. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share lots of uh, tips and strategies for us and uh, yeah, helping us to improve our social media. I know I've personally learned a lot as well. So thank you so much for being on the show, John. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. And I, I, I thank your audience for listening and hearing us out. And, and uh, I look forward to hopefully working with uh, some great members of your audience. Keep up the great work, Katrina. So that was John Oberg, vegan social media marketing expert and influencer. You can find out more at johnoberg.org. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 126. Now for some vegan business news highlights. A vegan tennis brand has just launched, that's July 2019 if you're listening in the future, selling wool-free tennis balls. Sheeps is an online retailer founded by Danny Rosenthal, a passionate tennis player and vegan of 26 years. 
According to Rosenthal, more than 360 million tennis balls are produced annually. After discovering that most of them contain wool and many tennis sneakers, even those without leather, contain animal products, he started the company to initially sell the few versions of wool-free tennis balls currently available, as well as other animal-free and environmentally friendly tennis products such as sneakers, racket strings and sheep's branded apparel. Rosenthal's future plans include independently producing and selling wool-free tennis balls, developing an upgraded and optimal tennis ball that's vegan and sustainable, and creating and selling animal-free products for other sports. I love this. I used to play tennis when I was younger, and I enjoy watching Wimbledon in particular, so it's great to see this vegan business raising awareness of the cruelty involved in wool and providing alternatives. Fantastic. In its first 15 months since launch, Vegan Fine Foods Supermarket and Cafe in Fort Lauderdale, Florida in the US, which stocks more than 4,000 products, has turned over an impressive $1.2 million, serving more than 35,000 customers, of whom around 75% are not vegan. Now, founder Stephen Smith, a former PepsiCo and Procter & Gamble executive turned business professor, has ambitious plans to expand the brand through franchising, along with the launch of an online store and private label products. He's aiming to create an all-vegan equivalent of Whole Foods. Dr. Smith, who's been vegan since 1997, has launched an equity crowdfunding campaign on WeFunder to raise additional capital for the expansion. Equity crowdfunding allows members of the public, not just registered investors, to invest in small businesses in their early stages. Now, what I love about this is that it goes to show that an all-vegan market and cafe can thrive in an area that's not traditionally known for being vegan-friendly, and that non-vegans, or pre-vegans as I like to call them, are keen to buy plant-based products. Now, full disclosure, Vegan Fine Foods is my client. I'm doing some PR work for them to generate buzz around the WeFunder campaign, which at the time of this episode has so far raised just over $85,000 from 149 investors, which is pretty exciting. Franchise options include the entire Vegan Fine Foods market, Vegan Fine Cafe only, and Vegan Fine Body, which is health and beauty products only. Dr. Smith, who aims to be preparing an IPO with over 100 national franchises by 2024, believes this flexible and diverse approach will appeal to a much larger group of people who want to run their own vegan business. He says, We also believe each option is different enough from the others that it will tap into different market niches and not cannibalize sales from each other if they happen to be in the same geographic market. And you can find a link to the WeFunder equity crowdfunding campaign on the show notes page for this episode. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. 
Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.